0: I thought it was an apt weekend uh, when I suddenly found out uh, that I would be speaking to actually talk about celebration, which is something that happens at the end of the book of Esther, and I promise this is the last sermon on Esther that we will have, but celebration. So coronation might not be your thing. You might not have had a street party. You might not have celebrated anything this weekend. But I would guess that we've all celebrated something in our lives, either in our lives or celebrated with other people, friends or family, when they have celebrated. So what kind of things do we celebrate? We celebrate weddings and wedding anniversaries. This was taken of me standing right here with Sam uh, 10 years ago, a week or so ago. Uh, we also celebrate birthdays. Today, uh, I think, is Mary Laird's 70th. Um, but we celebrate birthdays. We also uh, celebrate lives well lived. And as Joel shared this morning, his granny turned 95 on Friday, and he said, I'm pleased for her and the situation she's in. She knows where she's going. She's lived a good life, and, sh- and I know where she's going and we celebrate lives also we celebrate all kinds of milestones in our lives but particularly here we like to celebrate new life and baptisms like we have done recently and celebration is a really biblical thing uh it's all through the bible but king david was particularly good at celebrating and a story that i really like about him is when they brought the Ark of the Covenant, which for them was like bringing the presence of God into Jerusalem. And he lost all sense of decorum and modesty and danced half-naked in the street, celebrating uh, this Ark coming back into the city. And meanwhile, his wife watched on and despised him and was embarrassed of him. And I think... We, as a culture, like to be cool. But I actually think being cool and slightly numbed and slightly distanced, not if maybe we celebrate in a slightly quieter way, that's fine, how we celebrate is fine, but being cool and removed and saying, actually, it's not cool to feel emotion, to cry, or to laugh and celebrate. That isn't actually very biblical. It's far more biblical to celebrate, to go for it, And I wonder which one we are. Are we the cool, calm, looking down on the people that maybe go a bit over the top, that feel things a bit too deeply? Or are we the one that embarrasses everyone, that celebrates, that mourns, that laments, that feels, that really lives life fully? Which one are we? we're going to be looking at celebration in Esther 9. What can we learn from the book of Esther about celebration? And I ask my brother to come read, and while he comes up, I'm just going to tell you up till this point. Esther is a story of deliverance. Esther is a Jewess. She's in exile, and she ends up getting taken off her family to become the queen of the Persian Empire. And the enemy of her people, Haman, got approval for a decree to annihilate all of her people. But Esther, encouraged by her uncle, goes to the king, risks her life, but manages to get his support so that they can defend themselves against this threat. And so, they are given permission to defend themselves against their enemies and Haman is killed, and they are given rest from their enemies. Their enemies are put down, and they get relief. And then, quite understandably, they celebrate, and they really celebrate. They know how to celebrate. And at this point, her uncle Mordecai records all that's gone, out, gone on and sends out instructions to all the people to continue this celebration year by year to remember what happened. And Esther also writes to her people and that's what we're gonna hear about in the passage today. This
1: is Esther chapter nine from verse 20. And Mordecai recorded these things and sent letters to all the Jews who were in the provinces of King, both near and far, obliging them to keep the 14th day of the month Adar and also the 15th day of the same, year by year, as the days on which the Jews got relief from their enemies, and as the month that had been turned for them from sorrow into gladness, and from mourning into a holiday, that they should make them days of feasting and gladness, days for sending gifts of food to one another, and gifts to the poor. So the Jews accepted what they had started to do, and what Mordecai had written for them. For Haman the Agagite, the son of Hammedatha, the, the enemy of the Jews, had plotted against the Jews to destroy them, and had cast poor, that is, cast lots, to crush and to destroy them. But when it came before the king, he gave orders in writing that his evil plan, which he had devised against the Jews, should return on his own head and that he and his sons should be hanged on the gallows. Therefore they called these days Purim, after the term Pur. Therefore, because of all that was written in this letter and of what they had faced in this matter and of what had happened to them, the Jews firmly bound themselves and their offspring and all who joined them, that without fail they would keep these two days according to what was written. And at the time appointed every year that these days should be remembered and kept throughout every generation in every clan, province, and city, and that these days of Purim should never fall into disuse among the Jews, nor should the commemoration of these days cease among their descendants. Then Queen Esther, the daughter of Abihail, and Mordecai the Jew gave full written authority confirming this second letter about Purim. Letters were sent to all the Jews, to the 127 provinces of the kingdom in words of peace and truth that these days of Purim should be observed at their appointed seasons as Mordecai the Jew and Queen Esther bound them and as they had bound themselves and their offspring with regards to their fasts and their lamenting. The command of Queen Esther confirmed these practices of Purim and it was recorded in writing.
0: So they celebrated uh, spontaneously. And then Esther and her uncle send letters asking them uh, to celebrate this and giving them instructions on how to celebrate it. First, her uncle sent a letter which obligated them to celebrate every year. And I was struck by that. Have you ever been? obligated to celebrate something. It seems like a weird thing. Remembering how they were delivered from annihilation. And then the people accepted this. They said, yeah, this is good. We'll take this. And they saw the need for remembering the evil that had happened and of the deliverance that they had experienced. And then lastly, the passage finishes with Esther sending out letters to confirm what Mordecai had already commanded the people and that her people had accepted. And what I thought initially when I read this was why was such a big deal made of establishing a celebration? And a large part of this celebration in Esther is to remember, to remember what happened, to give thanks and celebrate for the deliverance that they had. But remembering and celebration and thanksgiving are all disciplines. They're habits that if we don't set them in place, very quickly we forget. Very quickly, if we don't consciously adopt them as practices in our life, we forget and we go about our normal life. And that's why they make such a big deal of putting this into practice. So what I want to look at tonight is three things. What does this story show us that is important to remember in how we celebrate? And the first one might not be the most obvious one. The Jews knew the importance of remembering the pain and terror that preceded deliverance. Esther includes in her letter to the people that they should lament and fast, and some Jews do fast the day before this celebration of Purim, even today. The reason for this, David Firth writes, there is a sense in which we can only appreciate the wondrous joy of deliverance if we also remember the pain and terror that preceded it. And this is true in a lot of situations. In our family, uh, some years ago, my cousin suddenly died, and she was pregnant, and her baby died. And it was awful. And obviously, we lamented, we mourned. But one of the lasting effects of her death is that we really value family celebrations now. We want to be there. We want to be at weddings if we have to fly halfway around the world. We want to go. We want to celebrate birthdays while we can, while we have them with us. Life has become that much more valuable because we've lost something. And often, through suffering, it helps us value and not take for granted when things are all right. Where normally, if things are all going fine, it's easy to take them for granted. And so, We want to be a people that, like in the story of Esther, that we remember what we were before. We remember, for us, what we were before we had Jesus. Easter wouldn't be a celebration if we'd been fine without Jesus. If we didn't need his salvation, if there was no point in him dying on the cross, Easter wouldn't be a celebration. We need to remember What life would be like if we didn't have him, if we didn't have that hope? And if you don't know him yet, come along on a Wednesday night and ask questions and ask us what that hope is. But Easter is a big celebration for us because it's a celebration of Jesus delivering us. And secondly, we want to remember and share the difficult times. And this might be smaller and on a more personal level. We often, as a church, share answers to prayer things that have happened that we want to celebrate. But it's also important to share with each other when we're struggling. There's people that put uh, things down on the prayer list, and it's important that we include people that are experiencing pain and difficulty so that we don't exclude them from our worship, from our life together, but that we can point them towards the hope that we have. And when deliverance comes, we can celebrate together in a more meaningful way. The second thing that the Jews in the story of Esther knew was the importance of remembering how God has been at work. This was a celebration that they were going to celebrate every year. They were to celebrate it without fail. We have to develop this discipline if we are going to persevere over the long run because more hardships are going to come. We give thanks for what he's done, which leads to an anticipation of what he's going to do. A consistent theme throughout Scripture is the importance of pausing to remember those times we've experienced God at work in our lives. And it's not just Esther where the Jews are told to do this. Passover, they were delivered from being slaves in Egypt. And they celebrated this every year, remembering the awful situation and remembering what they were delivered from, what God did for them, and celebrated that deliverance. In the New Testament, when Jesus, for the first time, took the bread and the wine and began the uh, tradition of communion that we celebrate together often, he said, do this in remembrance of me. It's a biblical habit to remember what God has done for us. Remembering past deliverances changes our perspective for the future. And as I was reading about Purim and how the Jews celebrate it uh, today, I came across these articles about Jews that celebrated Purim during the World War II. Some didn't, understandably, but some did, and I was amazed The Jews have a history of living out discipline celebration, even in the most difficult of situations. And this on the left is Miriam Goldstein. And she's in a gypsy costume, who was another group that was persecuted during World War II. And her sister, Sarah Goldstein, is next to her, dressed up as a Romanian soldier who at the time were allied with the Nazis and they're at a Purim party in their home in Hungary in 1942. Part of the celebration of Purim, the celebration that Esther began, is a sort of carnival feel, of dressing up and ridiculing the status quo, having people that were actually enemies at that time and oppressed each other at this carnival-feel party. They become equals, and it ridicules the status quo and says, actually, there's another way that's possible. There's another reality that is possible and that will come. And by using the hope in the story of Esther and ridiculing Haman, which is what they do, and remembering that in the end, deliverance did come, they would bring hope, they would lift their spirits. And this disciplined type of celebration brings hope that a different reality is possible and will come to be and I was uh, looking into this idea of a carnival, and I read this. Carnival laughter is capable of producing spaces of freedom and hope under tyranny and adversity, encouraging the imagining, envisaging, and enacting of a way of life beyond the limitations and absurdities of the current status quo. And this is one of my favorite depictions of Jesus, we follow Jesus, a man who lived under an oppressive power, who was unfairly condemned to death and was then executed by them using a method that was later outlawed because it was declared to be so horrendous and inhumane. But he established a carnival kingdom where the world as we know it is turned upside down where his death brings life for us, where the oppressed and the marginalized are lifted up, where oppressive and unjust powers are exposed, where tears and illness and brokenness will be replaced with peace and wholeness. And like I said, if I was to choose my favorite depiction of Jesus, I'm not big into images of Jesus, but if I was, I think it would be this one. I think often we think of him as serious and stern. But he was a man who expressed emotion. I hate to break it to you, he wasn't British. He was Jewish, and he expressed his emotion openly. The sadness and the tears, but also the joy. I believe Jesus laughed. He celebrated. He brought hope. And so we want to be a people that follow Jesus that remember to celebrate what He has done for us. Whether that be at Easter and Christmas, we want to do that, but we want to do more than twice a year. We want to remind each other of the hope that we have, of what is to come, even in the difficult situations. And we want to remember to give thanks for the good times. As we go into our weeks, do we incorporate thanksgiving to God, into each day and the way that we live, the way that we work and relate to people? Would people say, you're a thankful person, a grateful person? Or do we forget from Sunday to Sunday about Jesus' love and his deliverance that he won for us on the cross? I know I often talk about Sabbath, but Sabbath, one of the aims of Sabbath is to have a day where we stop doing all the stuff and we remember what he's done for us. We give thanks. That's a big part of Sabbath is celebrating and giving thanks. It's bringing us back into perspective when the toil of the week has got us down, has got us moaning, has got us stuck in a rut. And this discipline of celebration gives us the memory and the hope to keep going, even when things are a bit tough. And then thirdly, the Jews in the story of Esther knew the importance of enabling all to celebrate the good news. Esther specifies, actually no, it's Mordecai specifies in his letter that part of the practice of celebration is sending gifts to the poor. All of Esther's people were told, were commanded, were obliged to celebrate a community event. And this wouldn't have been possible if part of the community held on to all of the resources. The others wouldn't be able to celebrate, they would be excluded. Christian celebration has a sense of justice within it. We don't celebrate at the expense of others in our community. Part of the joy of celebrating is sharing generously with others, others who can't pay us back, and enabling them to celebrate. And we've got that sense of giving gifts, and it mentions giving gifts to family and friends, and we do that often in our celebrations. But is it part of our celebrations to give generously to those who can't pay us back, to those who otherwise wouldn't be able to celebrate in the same way? As I was looking uh, at the stories of the Jews celebrating Purim during World War II, I read about this. Purim evening at the Ilya camp in Transylvania in 1943 was a very difficult one. Conditions were unbearable and spirits were very low. Zvi Herschel Weiss, a prisoner at the camp, decided to write a text, which you can see on the screen. Sorry, I've lost my place. And he hand wrote this text in Yiddish, combining the story in the book of Esther with the story of the inmates. And Zvi was known for his humor amongst the inmates. And Zvi read the manuscript, accompanied by music. And that is how the Ilya camp celebrated Purim in 1943. Tvi wanted to lift the spirits. He wanted to remind them of the alternative that could be. And we could learn a lot from his determination to enable those around him in dire situations to celebrate and to find a way of using what he had, in his case, humour and creativity, in order to lift people's spirits. What can we share to enable other people to celebrate? Good news must be celebrated. And Christians might ponder whether or not we have at times made the good news of Christ seem rather less appealing than it is by losing a sense of celebration. Who do we celebrate with? How do we celebrate Could we incorporate traditions that involve giving to those that have less as part of our celebration? Do we share the good news with others that can't or don't know why they would celebrate it? So, as we come towards the end, who are you? The one who recklessly celebrates and laments and feels both joy and sadness and fully lives life? Or the cool one who goes around slightly numb to life, despising the ones who step out of the accepted norm of how someone should act, often feeling perhaps a bit miserable and bored? I challenge each one of us to think about this, and if the answer isn't the one that you would like, Ask God to fill you with his joy, with his life, with his spirit, and to help us change, to become more like him, to become more like David, a man after God's own heart, and more like Jesus, who wept and celebrated and really lived life to the full. Let's be a people, as we go into this week, let's be a people that don't forget, that accept, like the Jews did in the story of Esther, that the good news is worth celebrating. Let's be a people that celebrate well, knowing and acknowledging the importance of remembering the pain and the terror that preceded deliverance that acknowledge the pain and the struggles that are ongoing within our community and around the world, but also a people that include remembering and giving thanks for how God has been a work within our celebrations, so that even in the hardest times, we can have hope for the future and for God's kingdom where everything will be turned upside down. And let's be a people that know the importance of enabling all to celebrate the good news. Not keeping it to ourselves, but expressing our joy in our own ways, but expressing it. Expressing our joy, our celebration regularly. On Sundays, yes, but also throughout the week living generously out of a gratitude for Jesus, for his love for us. Now, as the worship group come back up, is the sung worship at the end just a tradition we go through? Is it just something we do without thinking about? Are we just going through the motions, or are we celebrating the good news that the words speak of? I encourage you tonight to join us in celebration. Let's celebrate together. And if there's something in the way, I haven't actually said to them, but there's people who are willing to pray for you. I think there's people with lanyards on. If if maybe you scatter yourselves at the sides, if there's something you would like prayer for, we want to be a church that gets alongside you. If you feel this just celebration is not something I can manage tonight. I encourage you, go ask for prayer. Ask them to pray for you. We want to get alongside you in the difficult situations too. And don't worry about feeling self-conscious. We, the rest of us, your job is to celebrate and not to be looking over there. We wanna be a people that celebrate together and that encourage each other and get along inside each other. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you came to earth, that you felt all the emotions that we feel, that you're okay with us feeling all those emotions, even to the extreme, and expressing them to you. And Father, we pray that we would know the good news in our hearts, that we would celebrate what you have done for us and that we would come alongside those that are in difficulty, that we would be able to point to a hope in you, to your kingdom. But in the meantime, that we would be able to walk alongside people, that we would lament well and that we would celebrate well.
1: Amen.